listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. What example can I give that would describe this generation? And he does so. And it's interesting. He talks about, you know, children kind of playing a flute and people not wanting to dance or uh, someone playing a dirge, like a funeral song and people not wanting to mourn. And as he kind of explains that parable, he comes to kind of what's the second part of our passage where he, he opens up in a prayer, a prayer to the Father. And he talks about the way in which wisdom kind of doesn't work a bit. And he offers this most heartfelt and beautiful invitation of discipleship. So let's listen to that first part of the passage. Matthew eleven sixteen through 19. But to what will I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We wailed and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. I saw this t-shirt for sale once, and the t-shirt said, I'm the one your mother warned you about. Pretty risque, I guess. Not exactly sure who would choose to wear such a thing. But, you know, it's playful. It suggests, I guess, that I'm, I'm risky. I'm, I'm playful. You know, I drive my car too fast and listen to my music too loud. And perhaps I say some unsavory words now and then. Um, it's interesting to, to, to think about uh, that. All cultures really have this, this general idea that our parents, our moms and dads kind of warn us that there are certain folk that we should stay away from. The ancient Israelite culture wasn't any different. Um, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 21, it's kind of telling young people, hey, listen, stay away from false prophets. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 to 21, it says some very specific things about a rebellious son. There it says that a parent, parents who have a son who's being rebellious need to come out in, in public and they should say this. They should announce to the community, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And then what the community is supposed to do is then stone the son, like execute him, put him to death. That's pretty harsh. Uh, terms. So if there's anyone from the youth group that's listening, be sure to obey your mom and dad, or if if you have your children with you, um, that seems to be maybe some PG-13 at least. The idea that a rebellious uh, child would be stoned to death. But that language that this rebellious son in Deuteronomy is described as a glutton and a drunkard someone who just gorges themselves and eats too much, and someone who's all the time getting drunk and kind of drinking too much. It is, of course, 
uh, what we're familiar with in this passage that some people are calling Jesus this very thing. Um, the parable, though, about playing the flute and not dancing and kind of playing the dirge and not mourning. The, the dirge and not mourning, I believe, to be a reference to John the Baptist. He was an ascetic, and he had come into the community with this very kind of stringent way of living, very strict way. And it was too much for the average person. Like, who, who can do that? In fact, he was living such a strict religious life that some people suggested that the only way he could do it was if he was possessed by a demon. Like that was too much for them. They were kind of unwilling to, to believe that this was a requirement for folks like this can't be the way. John the Baptist was too much. But then Jesus comes and he's kind of constantly celebrating. He would be represented in the analogy of the one who plays the flute, but they're not willing to dance. Jesus comes and he's kind of constantly celebrating the coming of the kingdom. And he's inviting everyone to the table. And he's inviting folks to the table that, according to Jewish tradition, according to Jewish law, that they shouldn't come. He's having dinner, of course, with the Pharisees. That might be expected of a rabbi. But then he's also having dinner with the tax collectors, with sinners, with the unsavory type, with the very ones that our mothers have warned us about. And so people are thinking, this rabbi, he's too much. I, can ex I expect that I might hear, you know, some folks say, have you heard about that rabbi from Nazareth? He lives in Capernaum. Like, I heard that his disciples were making bread on the Sabbath. And then someone speaks up, but I, I heard that he healed a, a man with a withered hand. And they said, yeah, on the Sabbath, like he's just finding ways to break the law. Very, un, very unsavory. Not the, not the person that we should follow. They're, they're treating Jesus as though he's the one that our mothers warned us about. I mean, he's the rebellious son. And by saying that Jesus is a drunkard and a glutton, in that context, that suggests that not only is Jesus unworthy to be followed, but that actually he deserves to be put to death, that he's a danger to the society. Jesus then focuses on uh, three little villages, fishing villages around the Sea of Galilee. This, this part wasn't in the 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 section that we read, but it sits in between the two sections. And Jesus mentions uh, Capernaum and Bethesda and Chorazin. Capernaum, of course, is where he lived. And these other places, a very short walk from where he lived, would have uh, been recipients of Jesus's ministry. Like they would have seen Jesus heal the sick and exercise demons. Uh, they perhaps would have been folks from those villages would have been part of the multitude that were fed when the story of the fishes and the loaves. Yet they so wanted a different type of Messiah. They were kind of so committed to their own religious fundamentalism that was either 
um, economically driven or kind of culturally driven in a way that was kind of exclusive and not inclusive, that Jesus just kind of opens up into a prayer. And in that prayer, he describes the Father in some really beautiful, really personal ways. So let's take just a minute and and listen to the second half of our gospel passage today. It opens with Jesus's prayer. Matthew eleven twenty five through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love the way that Jesus talks about the Father. The other day I was watching this documentary. It was about Garth Brooks. I'm a big Garth Brooks fan. Surely you've heard of him. He's like the most successful recording artist in, in history. And in this documentary, uh, amongst the people that were interviewed were his three daughters. And after a decade or so of just extreme success, um, Garth had these three young daughters at the time. And one of them used a word and he kind of, she kind of pronounced it in a way that he felt was not the way their family would typically pronounce that word. And he realized it's how their nanny uh, pronounced it. And it really convicted him. And he thought, I'm, I'm shirking my responsibility. Like the, the most important thing I have to do on this planet is to raise and care for my three girls. And I'm not doing it. And so at the height of his career, while he was the most kind of popular artist, not just in country music, but he had crossed over and became wildly popular in lots of different arenas. He retired at a young age. He moved back to Oklahoma and raised his children. Now, the story was, is complicated in a lot of ways. He had, he had been divorced, but it was 14 years later when his youngest daughter went away to college that he kind of came out of retirement and has continued to have a kind of a second career in music. But the ways in which his children spoke of him, things that no one else would know unless you were a daughter of Garth Brooks, uh, personal things, uh, loving, endearing things, they all at various times would, would tear up as they reflected um, on their father. And I think in some ways that's, that's exactly what we see Jesus doing here as he, as he talks about, about the father. Um, Tom Wright in his commentary on Matthew's describes it, he says with this analogy, he says, imagine you're a musician and you live in a culture where all the music that's being performed and played professionally is out of tune and out of rhythm. Like there's no one who's actually playing the songs or singing the songs 
the way they're supposed to be done. But you are. And all you want to do is to be able to share with everyone else, like, hey, that's that's not the way that's supposed to go. Like, listen, listen to me. Like, let me teach you how this is supposed to be. And as he starts to do so, people are like, no, no, especially like the leadership. Like, that's not how we do it. And that's that's not that's not the, the tradition as we know it. But then there are other people, just regular folk, that are like, man, I've I've never heard anything like this before. Like, this is this is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard in my life. Like, have you heard this? There was a movie that came out, I, th- I guess last year or the year before. It was called Yesterday. And in it, um, there's like this electrical event and all the electricity goes out around the planet. And when it comes back on, things have changed. There, there are parts of history that are missing. And there's this one musician and he was a singer songwriter and had tried to kind of make his make a living, but he wasn't doing very well. But he was the only one who remembered the Beatles, like the Beatles it was as though the Beatles had never existed. And so he began to play some of their songs and people went crazy about them. And so he becomes this kind of wildly successful because he's reproducing uh, the Beatles, the Beatles songs. If you haven't seen it, uh, I would encourage you to watch it. I think it's, it's very heartwarming and I, I don't want to, you know, spoil it for you. But it's but that's that's the idea. So Jesus, as we say, tells us things that about the father that only a son could know. And it challenges again the the status quo. So Jesus goes kind of to the very heart. Like in the Jewish tradition, there was this strong sense in which wisdom was considered kind of the great teacher. But it had developed in such a way that knowing that language because the, the Hebrew language had kind of fallen out of use during the, the exile and shortly thereafter, and Aramaic had become the, the dominant spoken language, uh, especially in, in Galilee. So kind of the studying of scriptures had become an elite event. And in the ancient world, the literacy rate was very, very low. Like even rabbis, uh, most rabbis probably couldn't read. Uh, or write. They learned by memory, right? That they would they would hear it over and over. And so it was an oral tradition. And you can pick up on a hint of this as the scriptures talk about like the scribes of the Pharisees or the scribes of the Sadducees. So perhaps not even every Pharisee could read or write, but the scribes could. The scribes were the ones who, who wrote for the group and the others kind of learned orally. So in that culture, that, that your average person would have thought that kind of the wisdom and the, the, the knowledge and the intimacy that was supposed to come with it was reserved for the very few. It would have been as unavailable to your average fisherman or farmer or carpenter as rocket science or you know, being a test pilot for the Air Force or something. It was a really, really kind of elite thing. But Jesus says, it's not the wisdom, it's not for the wise, that this is actually available for infants. Like, this is something 
only the children know. Like with Garth Brooks, this isn't something a fan would know. This isn't something a, a music historian would know. This is something only a daughter would know. Or in the case of, of, of a boy, only a son would know. And so Jesus says he refers to his own yoke. So it wasn't uncommon for the Pharisees to talk about the yoke of the Torah, like this, this kind of burden that would be laid upon those who knew. I mean, I could appreciate that in some ways. To, uh, Paul will say uh, that to those who know, you know, there's the responsibility of to those who have much, you know, to those who know things, there's a responsibility for you to kind of carry that knowledge. And so that, that was the idea that the burden of the Torah was they knew the law, so therefore they needed to follow the law. They knew the law, so therefore they needed to teach the law to others, to others who couldn't read or to others who didn't know, who hadn't studied. And so there was this sense that taking on the yoke of the Torah was this kind of great responsibility. But Jesus seems to offer something other. He says, take my yoke upon you on you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That Jesus has a yoke and he has something to teach us, but it's, it's not something that's reducible to what a text and the studying of a text can do. It's personal. Know Jesus and knowing Jesus, you can know the Father. Like that, that opens this, this thing up to everyone. Jesus, there's this, this passage there that says that Jesus says that he is meek and lowly and that you can come to him and he will give you rest. That meek and lowly is not just saying that Jesus has reached some kind of spiritual um, maturity and authority but it is the manner in which he behaves. He's not policing us. He's not going to stand over us like a really uh, mean uh, school teacher and kind of crack our knuckles with a ruler. He's gentle. And he's inviting us to be his disciples. He's inviting us to be his students. He's inviting us to follow his way so it's not just a matter of kind of following a rule. Let's take the Sabbath, come back to that for a second. Jesus will say at one point, people were not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for people. The Apostle Paul says something similar, I think, when he says that the letter of the law kills, but the spirit of the law gives life. And that spirit of of the law is none other than the Holy Spirit, which we have been given, which lives in us and moves through us and animates us. And it's the same spirit that, that was in Jesus and animated Jesus. And this is, this is what I think we're called for, or called to, to carry this message so there are times, of course, to mourn. There's a time for the dirge to be played. There's a time to live. There's a time to uh, fast, kind of like John the Baptist. 
But then there's also a time to feast. There's a time to celebrate. There's a time to come to the table and get over our differences and accept the forgiveness and grace and mercy that God is giving to us and then become those types of people, people of grace and mercy and forgiveness in the world. And that is an easy yoke. That is, that is a light burden. It's the one that Jesus offers us. And I pray that we can happily receive it and not resist it as so many did in his day. And I think as so many have and continue to do in our day. But that we can receive it and we can carry it and we can offer it to others. I love you. And I hope this lesson today, um, I hope you can hear it because I think it is great news. And I think believing it can really give you life. Amen. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.